Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. I'm going to round this series out this morning, and I've been so encouraged by this particular series uh, because it's a great reminder of the impact that community has in our lives. We learn in week one that uh, in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so he set out to find a suitable helper for Adam. In other words, the first problem humanity ever experienced was not sin, but it was being alone. It was not good for man to be alone. It is not good for us. It is not good for society to be alone. In other words, Adam needed others, not just God. This notion that you and God is enough does not fly in the context of Scripture. Adam needed God, yes, but he also needed others. This was a concept that Jesus understood. He chose the 12 apostles that first and foremost, he might be with them. Not only was it important that he was with them, but that they were also with him and with others. We have not been designed to be alone. We've been designed and we are hardwired for community. Everyone say community. Community. Why? Because God created us that way. We need people and people need us. I think that summarises the last three weeks. And as good as that is, and as true as that is, today I want to talk about the problem with community. Because there's always a problem. Kath and I have been leading this church over 29 years. Over 29 years, we planted this church and she is what she is today. And when people find out how long we've been leading this church, they always ask me this question, what's the best thing about ministry? And I find it so easy to answer without even thinking about it. I always say that's so easy, it's people. I love people. I'm addicted to people. I love people so much. I even married one. I love people so much. We even decided to create three of our own. I love people. I'm all about people. Are there any people out there who are people, people, and you love people? I do. I love people. The second question we get asked is this. Okay, if that's the best thing about ministry, what's the worst thing about ministry? I said, that's just as easy to answer. And it's the same answer. It's people. Because as much as I love people, no one has hurt me more than people have hurt me. People are a pain in the neck. Can I get an amen? Look at you all being holy. Oh, I would never say that. No, people are awesome. People are beautiful. But people can be brutal. In actual fact, people are brutal. That's what I've learned over 29 years of ministry. Why? Because wherever there are people, there is conflict. And whenever there is conflict, the first thing to go is peace. Have you noticed that? Whenever there's conflict, the very first thing to go is peace. And for peace to be restored, conflict must be resolved. If I don't say anything else today, remember that for peace to be restored, conflict need to be resolved. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 1 and verse 9. It says, Now he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, and he went up to a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and they began, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called the sons of God. I love this passage of Scripture. And Jesus categorically says, blessed are the peacemakers. Note, not the peacekeepers. There's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. Peacemakers work on the issue. Peacemakers always work on and through the issue. In other words, they recognise a problem and they deal with it. Peacekeepers, however, work around the issue. Are there any peacekeepers here? You work around the issue? Can I say this? While their intentions might be good, it is futile in its thinking. Why? Because you can't keep that which you've already lost. I'll say that again. To try and keep the peace is futile in its thinking because you can't keep that which has been lost. When peace has been lost, it can no longer be kept. It must be restored. And peacemakers understand that they have the responsibility to restore that which was lost. Community and the relationships that make up community don't just happen. Nothing good in life just happens. If you want a good garden, if you want a beautiful, magnificent garden, you have to work on that garden. We had the opportunity to stay at a friend's house, Pastor Scott Thornton, and Pastor Scott is neurotic when it comes to his garden, in particular, his lawn. And I've got to be honest with you, when I was staying in his house, I had lawn envy. His lawn was lush, thick and green. It was amazing. And it was immaculately manicured. I'm telling you, it was just amazing. And I know this to be true that that didn't just happen. And so I asked Pastor Scott, how often do you spend on your lawn? He said, oh, I spend a lot of time on my lawn. I said, I can tell. Because if you come to our house, our lawn doesn't look anything like that. If you want a good garden, it takes effort. It doesn't just happen. If you want a bad garden, you don't have to do anything. Have you noticed that? If you want something bad, you don't have to try very hard at all. You know, people say to me, particularly when they're young and in love, they'll say, hey, Pastor Tony, um, is love enough? And I look at them like, are you crazy? Love is never enough to keep a relationship together. You, You can't just be in love and expect to have a healthy, wholesome, strong relationship. It takes more than love. Love is all you need, only works in a song. It's a great song, but it's bad theology. All you need is love. It's not true. In order for a relationship to work, it takes effort. Can everyone shout at me and say effort? If you want a bad relationship, do nothing. Just sit back and, and watch it unfold. I promise you, it will go one way and one way only. It will lead to unhealthiness, and unwholesomeness. But if you want a good, strong, vibrant relationship, if we want a good, strong, vibrant community, it's gonna take effort. It's gonna take work. Ephesians chapter four, verse three says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I've said this a number of times before, more recently, 
But love can be unconditional, but relationships can't. How do I know that? Because God loves the whole world. And yet the whole world is not saved. Why? Because to follow Christ demands something from us. In order to have a relationship with God the Father, it demands something from us. We can't just live the way we used to live as a non-Christian and expect our lives to pan out well if we don't make any changes. Because a Christianity in its purest, simplest form is a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And any relationship to be healthy and to be workable takes effort. It demands something from us. Love alone is not enough. And so this morning, I want to look at three key things that peacemakers do. Three key responses from a peacemaker. Are you ready for them? Fantastic. Number one is simply this. You got to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says it this way. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. What are we aiming to become? More like Jesus. We, 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 have, we have nailed our colours to the mast. We want to be with Jesus. We want to become more like Jesus. And we want to do what Jesus did. And in order for that to happen, we have to be people that speak the truth in love. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And so we need to delve into what does speaking the truth in love look like? Well, in order to speak the truth in love, it takes four ingredients. It has to be with the right person. If you're going to speak the truth in love, it has to be with the right person. If it's not the right person, anything you say is gossip. So it has to be with the right person. It has to be in the right time. It has to be in the right place. And it has to be with the right spirit or the right heart. If you want to speak the truth in love, it has to be with the right person, right time, right place, right spirit. Right person, right place, right time, right spirit. If you were to ask me, Pastor Tony, what does that look like? I'm so glad you asked me because I've got an answer for what that could look like moving forward. People have asked me, what does that look like? Well, over the years, I've had many opportunities for people to display their talents. As a pastor of a church, I get to release people into their gifts and their talents like singing and dancing and acting and preaching. And after they've finished... Every one of them wants to know one thing. Do you know what that is? How do I do? No matter who they are, no matter how secure they are, the one thing they want to know is, how did I go? Well, I remember many years ago, and this person is not in the room, so please, no looking around. Although it probably applies to a lot of people in the room, but (laughs) young preacher stands up here on stage and preaches his heart out. And it was one of the worst things I've ever seen or heard in my life. And sure enough, I knew that they would seek me out afterwards to say, how did I go? And I gotta be honest with you, I was trying to hide from them because I knew they would ask me the question. And I didn't fancy answering the question on that particular night. Unfortunately for me, I was unable to escape their clutches and they cornered me and said, hey, Pastor Tony, how did I do? Now, I've got a dilemma because I've got to speak the truth. 
But I know in that moment when adrenaline is high and emotion is high, the truth is going to kill them. But I can't lie. So how do you speak the truth, but do it in a way that's not going to cripple them? And so in that moment, and this is what I did. I looked them in the eye and said, I loved seeing you up on stage tonight. And I love seeing you stand there developing your gift. It was a real treat for me. At that moment, I did not lie. Everything I said was true. That answer seemed to make them happy and it seemed to make me happy for the moment. But I realised that if I'm going to help this person, there needs to be a further conversation. And so what I did, I phoned them the next day and I said, hey, you asked me how you did. How about we catch up? And so we made a time to catch up. And when the adrenaline had worn off and the emotion wasn't anywhere near as high as it was on the Sunday, I started to talk to them about what they said and how unhelpful some of it was, how inaccurate some of it was. And we had a reasonable conversation. We had a conversation that was rational, not emotional. See, emotion can only ever be met with emotion or rational with rational. And if you are, if one party is emotional and the other is being rational, the person who's being rational has to back down and wait for another time. How do we speak the truth in love? It has to be with the right person. Imagine me saying, oh, I can't, but did you hear that guy speak tonight? I can't believe it. How useless was that? We laugh, we giggle, we snigger. And how many times do we do that? Yeah. We talk to everyone but the person it involves. Or we speak to them, and parents are really good at this. We speak to our kids because of how they embarrassed us. I know I've told this story many times before, but when I was 12 years old and I got caught shoplifting, one thing I'm so grateful for my dad in that moment was that he never told me off based upon how I made him feel or how I made him look. When your 12-year-old son gets caught for shoplifting, it doesn't make for you to be the best parent. And I'll never forget my dad's response because what it modelled to me was unconditional love. And he was there for me in one of my biggest times of my life to that point. And I'm so glad the words he gave me were not words of embarrassment, but words of love. We're talking about dealing with conflict in relationships. We're talking about dealing with and bringing the peace back into situations where peace has been lost. And we have a responsibility to the people in our world. Stop telling everyone else, talk to the person. But don't do it when you're high emotion, highly embarrassed, highly frustrated, highly angered. Calm down so you can have a rational conversation. That young pastor is still pastoring today and he's preaching really well today. 
And I'm so glad that I've had the very smallest part to play in his development. There's nothing worse than when you say that was good when it wasn't good. That doesn't help anyone. Have you ever received a gift at Christmas and it's ugly? It's horrible? And they say, what do you think? You say, I love it. Your voice goes high. There's a hint. (laughs) If someone's voice goes high when they say, I love it, they don't love it. We're sniggering, we're laughing, because you know you've either done it or you've seen it. The best thing to do is to be honest, but you've got to pick your moments of honesty. We have to be honest, but you don't have to be honest in the moment. Hopefully this will help us move forward. Secondly, you've got to apologise when you're wrong. And if any of you out there says, but I've never been wrong, I would say that's where you've gone wrong. We all make mistakes. We all get it wrong from time to time. So what do we do when we get it wrong? We have to apologise. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For me, an apology is to admit to specific actions without excuses. And there is a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is that sorry that you've been caught. But repentance is that sorry with ownership. And repentance has language like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, it was my fault, this is on me, not you. Will you forgive me? See, there's a difference between sorry and forgiveness. You know, sorry is for mistakes and forgiveness as, and um, forgiveness is for our sin. When I was um, getting some overhead luggage out of the overhead cabin in the plane recently, I was struggling with it because it was so uh, wedged in there. I don't know what it is since COVID. Everyone uh, packed onboard luggage now. They bring three or four onboards and they just throw it up there and it's just it's chaotic. And so I'm trying to... St- struggled to get my bag out. I finally got it out there, but as I got it out there, I knocked someone else's bag and it fell onto someone's head. <laughs> now, I didn't mean to do that. I, at that moment, it wasn't a sin of mine that needed to be repented for, but it was a mistake that needed to be apologised for. Imagine if I said, what's your problem? I didn't mean to do it. Toughen up, princess. <laughs> no, no, I, just, I am so sorry. I, I, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do I'm so sorry. But I didn't have to ask for forgiveness because I didn't mean to do it. But as a young boy growing up with two brothers, I definitely punched both of them in the head intentionally <laughs> on more than one occasion. And I'm so glad that I had an upbringing whereby whenever I did that, I was forced to not only ask, uh, say sorry, but to ask for forgiveness. Because I inflicted pain intentionally in that situation. And not only was I forced to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But then I was forced to look to my brothers in the eye and say, I love you. And then we were forced to, Give each other a hug. We had to hug it out. 
And then we had to hold each other long enough until it was real and not just doing it because Dad said. <laughs> That's how we grew up. And it served us well. We have to own and apologise. In raising our three kids, same story. But can I say this, parents, it goes both ways. Because parents make mistakes too. And you've got to learn to apologise to your kids. But also your kids need to see you apologising to your partners. In actual fact, I learned a long time ago that when our kids were playing up, invariably, more often than not, it had something to do with something that was going on in my life and Kath's life, usually her life. And the kids being kids, this is what I know about kids, they're intuitive. No matter how young they are, they're very intuitive. They pick things up but they're not experienced enough or wise enough to know what it is that they're picking up, so they act out. And if we are telling them off and disciplining them, because spare the rod, spoil the child, if we are disciplining them for something that we're creating, that's what the Bible means by exasperating your children. And invariably, they will arc up and they will say, I'm done. And so I learned a long time ago that if our kids were playing up, and Kath can vouch for this, I would take time out and say, okay, Lord, where am I at in my relationship with my wife? And invariably, God would highlight to me the things that I was doing wrong or the things that Kath was doing wrong in our relationship, and we would work on that. And lo and behold, 80% of the time, the kids' attitude would just disappear because peace was restored. And what were they arcing up about? The lack of peace. They knew there was no peace. You know, when you walk into a room, you say, What's going on? And you knew that as a kid. I bet all of us have got a story when we were six or seven and we just knew mum and dad were fighting. We just knew something wasn't right. You can, you can cut the atmosphere with a knife. You can feel the tension in the air. And we have to do our bit to explain what that tension is. In New Zealand last week, I had the opportunity to tell my Bondi story, which I've told here a thousand times, so I won't bore you with that. But I think the key moment to that whole Bondi story is when I looked at my kids in the eye and I told them my behaviour, what it was and what it was not. And when I said to them, this is not because of the church, this is not because of mum, this is not because of you, but this is on me. That was one of the best things to come from that moment. People are running out of church in their teenage years because they are sick to death of the hypocrisy. Where? The hypocrisy that starts and comes from the home front. And we have an opportunity to undo that by owning our mistakes and apologising when we're wrong. And number three, if the band can come back up, that'd be awesome. The last one's the hardest one. It's to forgive and let go. I think forgiveness is one of the hardest things in the world to do. In fact, I'd say it's even harder than that. I think forgiveness is for me near on impossible. Anyone feel like that? It's just like, it's just, it's really, really hard. Dare I say, impossible to actually forgive. And I think I have the answer as to why we feel like that. It's because we focus on the wrong thing. I know for me, I can never get forgiveness when I focus on what he said. What she said, what they did, what they said. When I live in that realm and I nurse and rehearse that, I just get more and more ed up. 
I get less and less peaceful. I get more and more anxious, more and more stressed, more and more frustrated, more and more mad. Anyone else feel like that? And then you start adding to your list. And another thing. And another thing. That's right, they did too. Another thing. And now you're not uh, forgiving. You're just madder than ever before. And I know for me, after being in ministry all these years, that's still true for me today. When I focus on the people, I always lose my peace and I never get it back. Never. I have never got my peace back once focusing on what she said or he said. What they did or what they didn't do. I've never ever got to a place of resolution or peace. Ever. Not once. Not ever. And yet, by the grace of God, I live in a measure of peace. I live in a measure of forgiveness. In actual fact, being in New Zealand, it's just a great time to reflect. And that's why this song for me is just so now. It's so current. Because it's exactly how I feel. The goodness of God. Our life hasn't always had good moments. But I can say, God's always been good. God's always been faithful. He's always been present. And I started thinking that my humanity, my frailty, my mistakes, my sin, the decisions I've made, the dumb things I've said, the dumb things I've done, and God's continual forgiveness as I've put this message into practice. This isn't a message for me. This is, this is, this is something I've tried to live by. And I look back and think, gee, you're a good God. Three kids all in church, happily in church, loving church, serving in church. Two of those kids married and for me, two of the greatest weddings I've ever been to. Totally different, but beautiful. All the people stuff that goes on in church that's causing people to just run away from the church. And by the grace of God, no burnout, no scandal. That God, you're so good. You're so good. And I believe the reason that's landed for me more than anything is because of this message here. Yeah. And I'm just going to focus on His goodness to me. Not people's badness to me. Not people's injustice to me. And every time I focus on His goodness to me, guess what? I just get peace. And what I was so bent out of shape with doesn't matter anymore. And invariably nothing's changed, but everything's changed because my perspective has changed. And I coined a phrase many, many years ago now that has helped me when I'm in a funk. And it's this. That no one offended me more than I offended Him. And yet He forgives me and continues to love me. That just undoes me. Have you been offended? Have you been upset, let down? I'm sure you have. That means to me two things. One, you're a person. And two, that you've been part of a community. If you've been hurt, burnt, upset, used, abused, mistreated, that tells me 
you're a person and that you've been part of a community. That community could have been a marriage, could have been a job, could have been a church. But the answer is not to abandon community because that's like jumping from the frying pan straight into the fire. The answer is never to run away from community. It's to make community healthy. It's to make community strong. And if we will make an effort to play our part and do these three things, imagine what this community could look like if we all spoke the truth in love. If we all apologised when we're wrong. If we all forgave and just let go. Do you think this uh, this community would be stronger or weaker? Do you think it'd be healthier or unhealthier? Don't blame the people that make up community as the reason why you don't have community. Because to give up on people is to for a lonely life. And quoting God Himself, it's not good for you to be alone. We need people and people need us. I need people. People need me. I need you. And guess what? You need me. As tough as this message may be to swallow and implement, you need me to share it today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.